The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Whole Healthy Living with your host, Sharon Brennan. Our show will provide the expert information you need to clean up your body and environment to live a vibrant life. You'll learn about harmful toxins, detoxification, proper nutrition, and much more. Learn how you can live clean in our toxic world. Now, here is Sharon Brennan. Welcome back. I'm excited to have Sally Fallon Morell, founding president of Weston A. Price Foundation and a campaign for real milk and sponsor of my show, joining me again to discuss her cookbook, Nourishing Broth. Nourishing Broth is a definitive cookbook that can help treat symptoms of autoimmune disorders, infectious disease, digestive problems, and other chronic ailments. Sally is also the author of the best-selling cookbook, Nourishing Traditions with Mary Ennig, PhD, and co-author of several other books, including Eat Fat, Lose Fat, Nourishing Broth, again, and Nourishing Traditions Book of Baby and Child Care. Welcome back, Sally. It's so great to have you back on the show again. (laughs) Thank you, Sharon. I'm happy to be back, and thank you for your show. Yeah, what a great time of year to be discussing (laughs) nourishing bone broths and um, you know, not only are bone broths healthy and medicinal, but they're great for keeping warm. They they are, and there's nothing like a beautiful soup made with uh, bone broth on a cold, windy day like we're having here today. And so what inspired you to write Nourishing Broth? <laughs> well, I, I think it has a long history, actually. I uh, grew up in a house where we had chicken broth. My mother was from the South, and we just knew from her that this was good for you. Uh, My mother uh, always said that if you ate chicken broth, you'd have beautiful skin. So I grew up in that household, and then uh, I became interested in Dr. Price, and I worked with the Price Pottinger Nutrition Foundation. And the other P is for Pottinger, Dr. Francis Pottinger, who wrote an article about broth way back in the 1950s and how the gelatin in broth helped your digestion. So I thought, well, it is uh, something healthy for you. And I included broth and used broth a lot in my first book, Nourishing Traditions. So the inspiration for Nourishing Broth, I can't really say it was an inspiration. I don't want to make that claim. It was actually money. <laughs> so uh, we, I got a call from someone I didn't know who was a book agent, a literary agent. And she said, I think it would be a great thing to have a book called Nourishing Broth. It's just focused on bone broth. And I did agree with her. I thought that was a great idea. But I didn't feel totally qualified to write the science part of the book. I could definitely do the recipes and the cooking part. So I suggested that we work with Kayla Daniel, who had um, known and interviewed and actually was going to write a book with Dr. Pruden, uh, who was kind of the uh, forerunner, the pioneer in working with cartilage 
for various ailments. And I, I knew that she knew more about the subject than really anybody else. And she did a great job on that section. Okay, so on the cover, under the title, it says Nourishing Broth, an old-fashioned remedy for the modern world. Share with our listeners some history regarding this age-old remedy and how it continues to uphold its reputation within today's modern world. (laughs) Well, certainly broth was always used in cooking. You know, let's let's go back a couple centuries, uh, even more, and people cooked over a fire and they cooked in a pot. They weren't uh, using ovens, really, uh, to cook the goose for Christmas. They took the goose down to the baker. Uh, they didn't have ov- ovens in their house. And they didn't have grills. They weren't uh, grilling. They, they were cooking in the big cast iron pots that swung over the fire. And if they wanted them to cook more slowly, they, they pulled them out a little bit. And what they put in those pots was pretty much everything. They just would put the bones and the feet, even the heads of an animal, Uh, in that pot. And so basically what people were eating was a kind of soup or stew that had the bones in it. Now, the lore of broth, uh, there certainly was some lore that broth was good for you, especially if you were sick, you know, the old-fashioned Jewish penicillin. Uh, Ancient physicians used the bone broth, uh, considered it a very healing food. But really, it's only in the modern times that we've looked at broth from a science point of view and been able to affirm, confirm uh, some of these, uh, uh, you know, the lore, some of the traditions about broth being healthy. Okay. um, So basic bone broth science, can you talk a little bit about that? Mm -hmm. So... You know, we're a big, we're a meat-eating nation, and when you think about it, there's really two kind, two basic types of protein in an animal. There's the muscle protein, which is the meat, and then there is the collagen, which forms the connective tissue, uh, the joints, uh, the bones, and so forth. And if you're going to eat the whole animal, you want to have both of those in your diet, but in the modern world, we're mostly just eating the muscle meats. And that gives us a certain range of amino acids. Uh, but if we are using broth, we're getting... So I would think of broth as kind of melted collagen. And that collagen has a different profile of amino acids. And they, they, they need to go together. Just to give you one example... There's a lot of methionine in meat, and we definitely need methionine. But for everything to be in balance in the body, that methionine needs to be balanced by glycine, uh, which we can get from the collagen or the broth. So there's a lot of synergies uh, that happen when we have both types of protein in our diet, the collagen protein and the muscle protein. And in the past, people got that kind of automatically because they were making soups and stews. Nothing went to waste. They saved the bones from the chicken, and that went into the pot, or the whole chicken was cooked in the pot with the bones. People didn't waste the bones. They didn't waste the tail, the feet, all the parts that were really big in collagen. So people got that in the past. Uh, 
So and and we're not getting that so much today. So I would say the basic bone broth science is that we need the range of amino acids that comes from both types of protein. Okay. Um, where uh, one thing I want to bring to people's attention too is when making bone broths at home, you want to make sure that you're getting, you know, nice grass-fed, pastured animal bones. You certainly don't want to be using. USDA, you know, animal bones because of, you know, the variety of concerns starting with glyphosate and, you know, all the way through the quality of the animal. Uh, So that's very important and that people understand. Would you agree with that? Uh, Yes, I, I definitely agree with that. Although I do have to say we did test broth made with all different kinds of bones, including bones from the supermarket, chickens from the supermarket, for lead, thinking that, you know, that's something you wanted to make sure was not in the broth. And we didn't find elevated lead levels in any broth made from are your thoughts? What are your thoughts relative to glyphosate? I mean, they're saying that glyphosate is in all the animals and, you know, the the feed... And the feed, it's in the plants, it's in our grains, it's in wheat. Uh, Non-organic wheat is sprayed with glyphosate just before harvest uh, to kill all the stalks and the stems. Uh, So it's in everything. I would imagine, though, it gets to the bone marrow and a, you know... Uh, yeah, well, that is a possibi- possibility for sure. Yes, it's, this is, we need to clean up our act right across the board, whether we're making bone broth or cooking broccoli. You know, We, yeah. we need to do our best to um, have a clean diet for sure. Explain the healing attributes within healthy bone broth. Referring again to the cover of Nourishing Broth, it says definitive cookbook that can help you treat symptoms of autoimmune disorders, infectious disease, digestive, digestive problems, and other chronic ailments. Um, you know, let's can can you capitalize on that a little bit? Maybe yes. Okay. So remember that broth is melted collagen, and so all the components of collagen are in the broth and are provided to the body when you. Uh, consume broth and then the body puts them back together as, as collagen and collagen is the most prevalent type of protein in the body uh, it's found of course we think of collagen in our tendons and joints and so uh, using broth would be very supportive to having healthy well-organized collagen in our joints and ligaments and tendons which, of course, we know are very, very important. But there's a lot of other places that you find collagen. I mean, uh, it's in all our organs. We have collagen in our eyes. So collagen is, you know, it's the membrane that we find around the liver. It's it's the part of us that kind of holds everything together. Uh, a surprising place that we have collagen is right under our skin, in fact, just under the skin is a level of collagen, and this explains why collagen is so imp- uh, so important. Why, excuse me, why bone broth can be so helpful in treating skin disorders. Doctor Pruden used collagen for scleroderma and eczema, and you know a lot of kind of intractable skin disorders. He used it with great success. The uh, digestive tract. Again, the digestive tract is really skin, and it 
has a layer of collagen just under the surface. And if that layer of collagen is healthy and well-organized and intact, then digestion will work properly. You won't have a leaky gut and the wrong things won't get through. So So collagen is essentially a form of fat, a lipid, right? No, it's not a lipid. It is protein. It's protein. Oh, a protein. Okay. But it's a very special type of cross-linked protein, a very complex structure that forms a barrier, basically. At least that's how it's working just under the surface of the skin and just under the surface of the digestive tract. So this is one explanation for why bone broth seems to be so helpful for digestive disorders. Well, it's also Uh, very high in minerals as well. And it's a great way where minerals are so difficult to get in the right balance Bone broth is an excellent way to get balanced or balanced minerals in, yeah. into your diet. As a matter of fact, Stephanie Seneff was saying on one of my shows mm-hmm. um, relative to uh, bone broth, she was saying that that's how, how she supplements her minerals is by drinking bone broth every day. So. And there's a lot of sulfur in bone broth. And as you know, um, Dr. Seneff is the one who's shown us just how critical sulfur is to all of the processes in the body. Mm. Uh, Another thing that I think is really fascinating about broth is that it's high in glycine. And Mm -hmm. glycine is very important for detoxification. Uh, Glycine supports the liver's detoxification processes. So when you think of, you know, you have a cold, you want to nourish yourself, but you also want to get rid of whatever toxins are causing you to have that cold. And that's why we say that the chicken broth is like Jewish penicillin, because mm-hmm. it really does help your body strengthen, but also detoxify. Oh, that's good to know. I didn't know that. And then you're asking about sports and fitness and wound healing and anti-aging. Well, if you are an athlete, you need constant repair of your connective tissue, your joints, your ligaments, your tendons. And so broth would be very helpful for that. If you're trying to heal a wound, again, you're trying to create collagen to cover that wound. And so the broth is going to give you the basic materials you need to, to heal very quickly. My, one of the most amazing things to me is the role that broth can play in mental health. And this was a great, uh, this was actually a work by Chris Masterjohn who showed us this. So to be, one of the things that's very important for mental health is the right level of dopamine in the body. If you don't have enough dopamine in your body, you're sort of depressed and it's hard to get going, hard to feel enthusiastic about things. If you have too much dopamine in your body, you are flighty and can't concentrate and uh, can't, you know, um, you overreact to things. Glycine and broth regulates dopamine. So I always say if you've got a hyperactive child, start him off with a cup of broth in the morning. That'll, that'll just calm down that overactive dopamine and get it in the right place where it's supposed to be. And if you have a child who can't get up in the morning, is sluggish and lethargic, give him that mug of broth in the morning and that will help raise the levels of dopamine uh, to a, a normal level. So broth is, is very, very therapeutic when it comes to mental health. 
That's amazing. That is great information. Yeah, I, I, I'm just fascinated by uh, that part of it. You know, we think of broth for our structure, our, you know, our joints and the integrity of all the organs and so forth. But it also plays a very um, nice role in supporting mental health. Well, Pacific actually makes, I saw this recently. What are your thoughts? on this, Sally, because I know not everyone has time to, you know, uh, prepare a bone broth. And really, there is no time involved in it. And we can talk about how to make a good bone broth in a minute. But um, I was recently in my co-op and they had uh, Pacific makes um, boxed bone broths. And and I'm not talking, um, you know, uh, broths as in beef broth and chicken broth. I have seen that by this company for several years, but recently I noticed that they have grass-fed bone broths in chicken and beef and turkey. Mm-hmm. And so what are your thoughts on the boxed, you know, bone uh, broth. Pacific spot? Yes. Well, the first thing I would say is put them in the fridge and see if they gel. Uh, and I, I bet that they don't gel. No, they don't. Yeah. No. <laughs> so I, I actually the- tried to sample <laughs> it and test it out myself, but there was no gel. Yeah. So first of all, they're probably making it with the wrong kind of bones. You know, just a, a thigh bone is not going to make you good broth. You want the joints and you want the tail and feet and the, you know, you can make it with ears, the head where you've got a lot of gelatin, a lot of connective tissue. Uh, and it needs to be cooked a long time. So yeah, if it's not gelling in the fridge, it means there's just not a lot of collagen there. The quality, yeah, is not. Now, yeah, now the Weston A. Price Foundation publishes a yearly shopping guide, and so 2016 is just out, and we name brand names, and we have a whole couple of pages on broth and soup made with broth, and so that's what I would suggest. If people are looking for it, to go to WestonAPrice.org and get our shopping guide, and that will tell you in your neighborhood who's making broth. You might also call your local chapter leader uh, and they should know uh, where to get broth. We get broth. We get broth from our farmers who are are making it. Wow. Okay, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. The Weston A. Price Foundation provides accurate information on nutrition and health. Find out why butter is a health food, what's wrong with modern soy products, and why good health is found in the wise food traditions of our ancestors. Visit our informative and fascinating website at www.westonaprice.com. Ouch! What do you think of when you think of dental procedures? Well, when you think about it, the teeth and the rest of the body are strongly connected. What happens in one part affects the other. In the Tooth Body Connection with host Dr. Don Ewing, we'll explain more about these concepts as well as discuss the role that your teeth play in your overall health. 
you'll learn about amalgams and how removing them the wrong way can be toxic to your body. Tune in Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned in to Whole Healthy Living with Sharon Brennan. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to wholehealthylivingradio at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Okay, during the break, Sally and I were talking about the healing attributes of bone broth uh, relative to mental health, and she brought up a couple points here that I wanted to go back to. Sally? Oh, yes, we were talking about OCD or even schizophrenia. One of the theories about schizophrenia is that it's the result of wild wild swings in dopamine levels. So the... um, the sufferer, you know, has low dopamine, they're kind of depressed or maybe even they behave normally. And then they get these big swings where dopamine levels go high and that's when you get the schizophrenic uh, behavior. So broth, I would always say broth should be used in the treatment of these kinds of conditions, these wild swings in the way people react to the world it, because it's moderating. It, it calms you down to a kind of nice middle ground which is what we all want, right? We all want to be able to meet the challenges of the world with enthusiasm and a lot of uh, drive, but not to let them overwhelm us, you know. This is true. (laughs) So let's now discuss on how to make a good bone broth. Okay, so this uh, puts a lot of people off, (laughs) and yet it's, it's really quite easy. And here's my routine. So I have a slow cooker. And every time I cook chicken, which is usually about once a week, uh, I save the bones and I put them in a plastic bag in the freezer. And it takes bones from two chickens to fill up my slow cooker. So I just put those in the slow cooker. I add some feet. So you can either get a, a piece of pig's foot at the store. I mean, it's not ideal, but uh, you can use pig's feet or chicken feet, which a lot of uh, people are now very interested in. And you can get those from a farm, probably the same farm you bought your chicken at if you're buying directly from a farm. But you do need some feet in there. And what are, tell us about feet. What exactly? Because the feet are, have a very high gelatin or collagen to uh, muscle ratio. (laughs) So they've got a lot of connective tissue in there. And that'll give you a broth that, that gels. Anyway, you fill up your slow cooker You with the bones. You put water in to cover the bones, and you put one onion in. You don't even have to peel the onion. Just cut it in quarters and a splash of vinegar. That's absolutely all that you, you need. Oh. You put that on low, and you cook it overnight. And while you're fast asleep, the broth is cooking, and in the morning, you have beautiful broth. And I simply take a ladle and ladle it out through a strainer into a big Pyrex pitcher. Uh, Some of that we drink right away. Uh, The rest goes in the fridge. And then I fill up that slow cooker again with water 
and do that a second time. Turn it on and cook it till the next morning, and you have a second batch of broth from the same bones. It won't be quite as gelatinous, but it's a way of uh, easily getting a lot of broth, uh, you know, without having to do a lot of work. Now, what is the vinegar used for? Because I don't, when I make my bone broth, I just take the bones, I wash them, I put them in the pan, I boil the water for about an hour, and then I scrape the kind of greenish sludge or whatever that may come off the bones off the top. And then Mm -hmm. after I scrape that all off, I just let it sit on the back burner and simmer. Mm -hmm. That's another way of doing it. Yeah. I wouldn't boil it. Uh, I would just simmer it. Okay, never boil it to get yeah. that sludge or... Well, you, uh, the the stuff that comes to the top, the scum that comes to the top, is uh, it's very good to skim that off. You use a spoon and just skim it off, and that's impurities that come to the top. So the cleaner your chicken or the cleaner your bones, the less of that you'll have. But that is one of the techniques of the great French cooks is they always skimmed to make sure they got that scum off. And so vinegar, again, what does the vinegar So the vinegar is, it just helps bring the minerals out of the the bones. Oh, okay. How much vinegar do you recommend? Oh, well, for the slow cooker, maybe a quarter of a cup. Quarter of a cup. Okay, I'm taking notes here. (laughs) Fine-tuning my bone bone broth recipe. Um, So how thick should the gel be, you know, if you have a good gel, what would that be? Like an inch thick, a half an inch thick? Well, the whole thing gels through. If if you have a good gel and you put it in the fridge, the whole thing will be like jello. Uh, oh. It'll wobble when you shake it, and if you put your finger on the top, it's it doesn't. It's not like a liquid, you know. And it's all the way through. You don't have and any it's, broth. It's all the way through. Typically, what you'll have a layer on the bottom of sediment, and. Right. If you want a nice clear broth, when you're uh, removing your broth from that pitcher, uh, Pyrex uh, measuring pitcher, uh, you just leave that sediment on the bottom. Uh, if you want a nice clear broth, of course, there'll be a lot of minerals in that sediment too, so you can include it if you want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, now now that you have your broth, what do you do with it? Well, you can just drink it, heat it up in, in a mug, add a pinch of salt, and drink it. Uh, much more nourishing and wakes you up a lot better than coffee. <laughs> uh, so you can drink it in a mug. You can use it to make soup. And believe me, the soups you make with homemade broth taste absolutely delicious. You can use it to make a sauce or gravy. And I typically, if we're cooking a lamb chop or a steak, I make a reduction sauce after I've cooked the steak uh, in the pan by adding a little wine and some broth and letting that boil down, and you have a beautiful sauce for your meat. And your meat will be much more digestible with that sauce, with the um, gelatinous sauce on top. Or uh, I use it in stew. Uh, I use the same slow cooker, um, throw some lamb in there. We, we love lamb stew. Uh, add broth, add seasonings and tomatoes and garlic and so forth, and cook that overnight or throughout the day, and you have stew. So it, it's very versatile, and one of the best things about using broth is that you will gain the reputation of being a wonderful cook because there's nothing like broth to make gourmet cooking really easy and the final results uh, delicious. That's Let's what I do. Yeah, Lescoffier, the great chef, he said, without broth, you can do nothing. That's true. Anytime that a recipe calls for any kind of a liquid like water 
I use the bone broth and it does. It makes it so much more nutrient dense, but also tastes so good. Um, and, and more digestible. And I think mm-hmm. as we grow older, it's, you know, we lose that digestive fire. Young people, good, healthy young people, they can eat anything, you know. <laughs> but we, we lose that ability as we grow older. And the, the older we get, the more important it is to have broth in our diet. So going back to the bones, how long would bones last in the freezer if you, you know, had put your bones in the freezer? Oh, I think a long time. I would say a year, really. But okay. we use them up much quicker than that. <laughs> and how many bones, you know, if, if obviously I don't have animals and living in a condo, but um, if I, I buy my bones at the health food store and... If I'm buying, if, you know, what would you recommend to our listeners if they were buying bones? How many bones would they put in one pot of bone broth and which ones would you recommend them purchasing? Well, for your slow cooker, and those slow cookers are usually six to seven uh, quarts, I think. Or, let's see. Yes, six to seven quarts. I find that the bones from two chickens plus some chicken feet or a pig's foot is right for that. You cover with water. Whatever you're doing, you just cover with water, and that will give you the right ratio of water to bones. Uh, If you just have a few little bones in the bottom of a big pot of water, it's not going to work. So you need to pretty much fill your pot, whether it's your slow cooker or your stew pot or your stock pot. You fill that with bones, or you put the bones in there and then just cover the bones with water. And that will give you the right proportion. And so what types of bones? Well, chicken bones are always good. Uh, If you have some saved skin from the chicken, that's good because that's full of collagen. Uh, Oxtail is excellent. I like to use um, uh, short ribs are good because they have a lot of connective tissue in them. the if you can get a joint, you know, at the end of the bone, that's that's very good. That's full of uh, connective tissue. Okay, your book has a huge variety of dishes that can be prepared <laughs> with bone broths, um, and I know that you kind of gave some examples as to what you could do with bone broth. Talk about a couple of those dishes really quick, just to entice <laughs> people to look at your. <laughs> well, a really simple awesome. one is the um, a Thai coconut soup. So you've got chicken broth, a can of whole coconut milk, and uh, some lime juice, and a little bit of chili pepper, a tiny bit of sweetener, and some ginger. And that makes just a beautiful soup, a great soup for when you're sick. <laughs> really clears the hit. So that's mm-hmm. something very simple. Uh, another simple thing you do with broth is to make gravy. So let's say you've baked a chicken and you have some nice drippings in the pan, you remove the chicken when the chicken's done, keep it warm in the oven, and take the rack out of the pan, and use a little unbleached white flour, and you stir that into the drippings, and when they have uh, cooked, you want want that to turn uh, slightly brown, you're stirring all the time, you whisk in your broth, and make a gravy. And believe me, you will have a lot of compliments on your gravy if you make it with real broth. Thanksgiving must be really good at your house. (laughs) (laughs) Anyhow, um, anything else you want to say on nourishing broth? It's, again, all of your books I think should be basic staples in people's kitchen. Um, It's just a plethora of 
recipes, information um, that just supports healthy, you know, whole healthy living, the premise of the show here. And, so. and also uh, delicious food. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, a lot of people have all these ideas for what's healthy, you know, green drinks and, and this and that, uh, plain whole grains. But if they don't taste good to eat, eat if they're not satisfying, uh, they're, they're, it's not going to work. That kind of diet is not going to work. You're going to crave junk food. I say people go from the puritanical foods to the pornographic foods. Right. But, <laughs> but I think true healthy foods are nourishing and delicious. And that's where the broth comes in. That's also, of course, where the fats come in, the good butter and animal fats. Uh, these make food satisfying and the broth certainly does that satisfying and easy to digest well the other thing too is i don't think people really realize um people that may be more interested in health and wellness and taking care of their families and themselves may have a you know better understanding of this but people on the go that are you know not taking time to prepare meals and driving their children through the local drive through um, to feed them before their activities and things like that. I mean, with proper planning, it's not that complicated. Making bone broths, making kefir, making, you know, yogurt, even making your own cheese, nothing. I, I, I think, you know, just about everything is under five minutes. And it's uh, what takes time is, um, you know, fermentation or uh, the actual, you know, uh, boiling, slow, cooking. slow yes. cooking, exactly, yes. is what the most time-consuming piece of it is. So if you have these basic staples that take under five minutes to make in your house, then you can make in the morning, let's say, for example, a healthy smoothie with um, a cup of kefir and then throw in some fresh berries and a little Nutribullet or something like that. Um, maybe add in... Um, you know, some an egg or whatever, and to make it extremely nutrient dense and fire it up, and you know, in in less than five minutes, you've got a really nutritious, nutrient dense breakfast. So, yeah. you know, I don't think people realize how not complicated it is. It's just good planning is all to, it's, to eat yes. healthy. Cooking is planning, and there, there's nothing wrong with knowing how to plan. In fact, it's a very important skill to think ahead, to make sure you're well-provisioned, that you have time to do all these things. And as you say, it doesn't take all that much time anyway. And I just, I I think, you know, the food industry has spent the last hundred years creating the impression that it's demeaning to cook, it's not necessary, and that it's a waste of your time. Mm -hmm. And nothing could be further from the truth. Somebody in the household needs to cook if you want to have a healthy family. And... It uh, could be, you know, the oldest child, could be the husband, could be the wife, could be a friend. <laughs> but somebody has to, to really cook and prepare the food. And if you've got the money, hire a cook, right? Uh, well, that's what I say. You know, I see families uh, with all the money in the world and they go on these great vacations and have fancy clothes and fancy cars. But they go to the drive-in and eat the cheapest food. And they could afford to have a cook making them uh, great food. Great it's, point. It's, yeah, it's it, it's um, the values are warped, and and we're not we're not thinking through where it is we should actually put our money or our time. Mm. So last time we only have three minutes here before our next break, and we'll get it started. But we'll pick up after the break is over. 
Last time you were on the show, Sally, we talked about Weston A. Price Foundation, just very briefly touched on it. And I wanted to take the time this morning to bring to our listeners' attention, you know, what exactly the foundation is all about, what it does, um, you know, just talk a little bit deeper um, to our listeners about the foundation, the mission, etc., and how it would benefit them to become a member. <laughs> yes, okay. So the foundation is called the Weston A. Price Foundation for Wise Traditions in Food, Farming, and the Healing Arts. That's a long t- title. So why, why do we have these words? Well, Weston Price is considered the Charles Darwin of nutrition. He wrote the definitive book, about nutrition for healthy people back in the 1940s. And we are, we, uh, you know, base what we do on his findings, which were that these traditional diets were all eating, of course, natural foods, and they were very, very high in three particular vitamins, vitamins A, D, and K, which we get from all the foods that we're being told we shouldn't eat today. So animal fats, organ meats, seafood, butter, whole milk, cream, egg yolks, not the whites, but the yolks, and things like cod liver oil. Uh, These are the basis of the diet that we recommend. But we have this tagline. So so the Weston A. Price Foundation for wise traditions in food, farming, and the healing arts. So our scope is a lot broader than just just diet. Uh, And when we do look at diet, we look first of all at the traditions. What did people in the past do? And what we like to show is the scientific validation of these traditional food ways. When the science confirms the importance or the benefits of doing things in a certain way, then we think we're on the right track. We, you know, that you can be misled by science, of course. And science has, uh, you know, been suborned to industry and so forth. But when the science actually shows that there was a reason for doing things a certain way, then we were very interested in that. So for wise traditions in food, farming, okay? So we're, we live in the industrial age. Everyone thinks that industrial farming is the way to go. But uh, we look at the wise traditions of farming and particularly going back to pasture-based farming. Okay, and the healing gonna, arts. And we can come back to the healing arts. <laughs> yeah, we'll come back from our break and discuss healing arts. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. The Weston A. Price Foundation provides accurate information on nutrition and health. Find out why butter is a health food, what's wrong with modern soy products, and why good health is found in the wise food traditions of our ancestors. Visit our informative and fascinating website at www.westonaprice.com. We are bombarded daily with information about beauty products and anti-aging treatments. Do you know how they have been tested? Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelly's Show and Tell with host Shelly Hancock. We'll bring you the top-rated skincare products and treatments 
Tested by Real Transformation Skin Care Centers will motivate you to make the best changes. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. are tuned in to Whole Healthy Living with Sharon Brennan. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to wholehealthylivingradio at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Okay, we're back. And during the break, Sally and I were discussing frozen broths. Sally, do you want to pick up on frozen broths before we talk about healing arts? Uh, yes. You know, you were talking about the broth that comes in the boxes that can sit out at room temperature, and I'm always a little suspicious of things that can sit at room temperature. I wonder what they've done to them. But a lot of people are making a good gelatinous broth and freezing it, and that's really the way to go. If you don't want to make broth, you can definitely buy it. There are people who will ship it to you. So again, I would go uh, purchase our shopping guide put out by the Weston A. Price Foundation, and that will give you the all of the sources of frozen broth. Again, the website is Weston W E S T O N A P R I C E dot org and dot mm-hmm. com. I think you can get yes. there with both. Yeah. Yes. Okay, great. So let's, moving forward, talk about healing arts. Okay, so uh, the Weston A. Price Foundation for Wise Traditions in Food, Farming, and Healing Arts. So all of these go together. And again, uh, it's not that we are, you know, a big voice against conventional medicine. I certainly think that there's a place for this. But we support healing methods that don't do harm, that actually are non-toxic and that help you heal. And I have to say we have been a very strong voice warning people against the dangers of vaccinations. There's much better ways of protecting your children, uh, and broth is one of them. Very good way of protecting your children. All right. Um, I was looking at your publication. Uh, I'm a member of the Weston A. Price Foundation, and the uh, Wise Tradition publication there was some information on gardening and with gardening being a season upon us, um, what are some good non-toxic weed control protocol, Sally? <laughs> yes, this was uh, an article that we had and um, it was talking about different things you can do. One of which is to use uh, cover cloth on your garden to keep the weeds down. Um, he talked about some non-toxic um, um, herbicides for weeds, even hot water uh, is a good thing, uh, just boiling water to to put on weeds. What do you do? Just pour the hot water on the yes. weeds and they die? Yes. And you oh, can also get like a little flame thing. Uh, we have a problem with weeds coming up through our driveway and they're very hard to pull out, but you can flame them. You know, this, you have a little tank on your backpack and you just it's a little flame that comes out. That's, that sounds interesting. Yeah. Um, I actually, in the past, uh, when I would have to take care of my um, landscape, I used an essential oil product, and it had peppermint oil, clove, 
And just on contact, you would see them just shrivel up. And oh. be- I know the beautiful thing is, is they don't come back either. Oh, I'm very interested in that. Yeah. <laughs> send, send me your recipe. Another well, thing you can use is vinegar with a little bit of detergent. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, weeds, I don't know how we got into, you know, using chemicals and um, actually, I do know Stephanie Sneff spent some time explaining all that um, on one of the shows here. But, uh, you know, it's amazing with all these alternatives that we have, non-toxic alternatives that, you know, our country as a whole is pushing the toxic chemicals. So, you know, they're sort of left over from the Second World War. These were all developed during the war as, as war weapons. Mm. And once the war was over, well, what are you going to do with these things? And that's that's how they started to be applied to our own yeah. life. Yes. That's what Dr. Seneff said. Um, so it all makes sense. Uh, with that said, what about cod liver oil? Cod liver oil seems to be a big controversy these days. <laughs> and Western A. Price spends, or Wise Tradition spends a lot of time um, debunking the controversy. Well, Dr. Price gave cod liver oil to his patients, and he did so because it was a very good source of vitamins A and D, the two vitamins that he found were very high in traditional diets. And when you think about it, right up through the Second World War, almost everybody in America got cod liver oil. If you didn't get if you weren't given it in school, you got it in Sunday school. Um, they gave it out in refugee camps. The doctors promoted cod liver oil. The government promoted cod liver oil. It was a very big public health, uh, you know, uh, project mm-hmm. and one that was very effective. That Why were they taking it? Well, for one, they didn't want to have problems with measles and infectious disease and cod liver oil was extremely effective in uh, keeping, you know, if you had the measles, it would only be a mild case if you were taking cod liver oil. Uh, the Weston A. Price Foundation endorses cod liver oil and we particularly endorse a high vitamin cod liver oil that's made by fermenting the livers. And this cod liver oil is a dark, uh, sort of a dark red color it's uh, reddish translucent and the very old books on cod liver oil always said that this was the best the best type of cod liver oil not not the light cod liver oil that had been steamed but the darker cod liver oil that came from fermenting the livers well uh, last year there was a big controversy and we were accused of promoting this fermented cod liver oil and that it was rancid so we immediately sent out a sample to a lab in the uh, in the UK and England, and this was recommended as the very best lab for testing for rancidity. And it came back as absolutely no rancidity, extremely stable. We did that test again with several brands of cod liver oil, and again, the fermented cod liver oil was the only one that was not rancid. All the others showed some signs of rancidity. Now, that doesn't mean the others are unsafe, because the body can deal with a little bit of rancidity, but the only one that was completely stable and not rancid was the fermented cod liver oil. And the the question is, why? And I think the answer is twofold. One is that the fermented cod liver oil is never heated, whereas the steamed cod liver oils are. 
uh, so it's always processed at room temperature. And but the second reason I think is be- simply because it does have a color component. These are phenols, and these are stabilizers, antioxidants and stabilizers, and this is what makes this cod liver oil so resistant to rancidity, is its actual color. Hmm. Well, and the thing, we I... like about, the thing we like about the high vitamin cod liver oil is you don't have to take as much. You know, mm-hmm. a teaspoon is 10,000 units of A and a couple thousand units of D, and that's all you need, and you don't have to take a lot of, a lot of it to get what you need. And if you have a healthy diet rich in A, D, E, and K, let's say you um, have a lot of nutrient-dense food every day, such as eggs, butter, milk. Liver. Liver. (laughs) Can you get too much, though, supplementing with the cod liver oil? Can you get too much, A? Uh, You can, and especially if you're not getting enough D and K with A, you need all three of these together. So that's why, you know, this cod liver oil is, is supposed to be a supplement to your regular diet. But it's also a very good insurance policy. So we, we say a teaspoon a day uh, is fine not to overdo. There, there are occasions when we do recommend you increase that, but it's not a permanent thing. And why has our country strayed from the promotion of cod liver oil? You mentioned earlier on yeah, that it was greatly promoted by the government and... Yeah, it's a, that's a very good question and an interesting story. So, about Maybe 19- it was the evolution of food giant and giants. and No, that. actually, it was the advent of antibiotics. Oh. So up, before we had antibiotics, really the only way you could protect yourself against things like influenza, measles, uh, pertussis, infectious disease was cod liver oil. And everybody recognized that, and that's what people did. And that gave them a big uh, impetus to, to take it and to give it to your children because we knew that it, it protected them. Uh, when antibiotics came along, suddenly the pharmaceutical industry had something else that they could use, and they made a big point of discouraging cod liver oil and, and pushing the antibiotics instead. So it it was just the competition from antibiotics and now the vaccinations, you know, with the promise that this is going to protect your children. Okay. And uh, I know within the Wise Tradition publication, there's also a lot of discussion regarding raw milk. Mm-hmm. And I know that's one of your passions, Sally. Yes, so, it is. <laughs> um, you know, we, we don't have a lot of time left here, but, um, you know, over the next several few minutes, um, why don't you just kind of discuss... Um, raw milk, and I know a lot of the listeners may not be, you know, listen, uh, may not be using raw milk. And if you could just kind of give some background on raw milk with them, and again, the controversies here in the U.S., and we'll go from there. Right, right. So um, the Weston A. Price Foundation promotes what we call real milk. This is milk that comes from cows on pasture, milk that has all the fat in it. That's the way nature intended. And milk that is unprocessed, that hasn't been pasteurized or homogenized. It comes straight from the cow. And there is no question that, th- that real milk is ex- much healthier, far less allergenic, contains components that give you a healthy immune system, that <clears throat> helps uh, prevent tooth decay, that helps your child grow with good, strong bones, uh, I mean, raw milk is nature's perfect food. And once we pasteurize it, or even worse, ultra-pasteurize it, 
it's like waving a an evil wand over the milk and all of these good things are gone and it becomes extremely allergenic. We have the technology today to produce clean, raw, safe milk everywhere in the country and that's what we should be doing. Instead, we use that technology to ruin what's in the milk and we've created a food that's actually quite toxic to to a lot of people. So pasteurizing, how does that make the milk toxic? Well, it warps and distorts all the proteins in the milk, the delicate proteins in the milk. It destroys all the immune factors. It destroys all of the enzymes that help you absorb the nutrients in the milk. And it makes it very difficult to digest. So we are big promoters of raw milk. It is a niche market that is growing by about 25% per year. And I do predict that within 10 to 20 years, raw milk will be the only kind of milk that you can buy in the supermarket. What are your thoughts on raw milk and people with gut integrity issues? Well, um, if you have those problems, we recommend something called the GAPS diet, which Mm -hmm. takes you off all dairy, all grains, and you use lots and lots of broth. So it's a good way to come to a conclusion here. The broth is very healing of the digestive tract. And once you do this diet, usually about six months, and heal your digestive tract, uh, you, you can reintroduce raw milk and you can even reintroduce grains that have been properly prepared. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Um, what else can you tell us in the last minute here on, on uh, raw milk? Well, please go to realmilk.com if you're skeptical about what I'm saying. We have a great video that we've just put up. It's had thousands of shares. And, and watch that video. It's about 10 minutes and it really explains why we are so passionate about pre- promoting raw milk. Okay. And I want to encourage everyone. I have very, very strong regard for Weston A. Price Foundation. A lot of my training is based on the philosophy. Uh, It only makes sense. It supports the innate processes of the body. And, um, you know, I feel that it's nutrition the way God intended. But want to encourage everyone to visit the Weston A. Price dot org or dot com website and if you you know like the philosophy um you know i encourage you to become a member and uh you know you'll receive the wise traditions publication quarterly and sally do you want to say anything else about that or yes and it supports the work we do we also have a very active facebook page so um please um visit us and um and I'm sure you'll learn a lot. And we're a great community, great supportive community. Well, I want to thank you so much, Sally, for being on the show again today. You're always a plethora of information. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just, I always enjoy talking to you. And for those that are local in the area or might be visiting the area, Sally mentioned to me on the break that they actually uh, host tours on Saturdays at 11 a.m. Is that correct? Yes, that's at our farm. In southern Maryland, uh, the farm is called P.A. Bowen Farmstead. But if you just Google Sally Fallon Farm, you'll find it. Okay. Well, I want to thank everyone from around the world. We are really building quite a following here. Uh, We will continue to bring you whole healthy living, clean living in a toxic world. And for anyone interested in scheduling uh, 
scheduling a free consultation with me, you're welcome to email me at whole, W-H-O-L-E, healthy, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y, living, L-I-V-I-N-G, the number four, the letter U, at gmail.com. Thanks so much for joining us today, and we'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to Whole Healthy Living. Please join Sharon Brennan again next Friday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great weekend of clean, whole, healthy living, and we'll see you here next week.